Good afternoon, good morning everyone, and welcome to our ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm coming to you from the Christian Embassy's headquarters here in Jerusalem, where we've had quite a remarkable season here. We went from an 11-day, basically two-week rocket war in Israel to a ceasefire heading into last weekend, and now this week, we're welcoming uh, over 500 Jewish immigrants from around the world. So the, today we're talking about Israel making this incredible transition from a rocket war to uh, Aliyah flights. And we've got two uh, incredible guests today, Alon uh, Keith Isaacson, the security chief from the uh, Eshkol Regional Council, right on the front lines of the battle. They're the closest uh, regional council in Israel to the Gaza Strip, to Hamas, and this guy has uh, got a lot on his shoulders 24-7, uh, helping defend their communities from, from not only rockets, but uh, all the fire balloons and everything else. And we'll also be speaking to Daniela Moore of the Jewish Agency, who has helped put together an incredible week of uh, all these Aliyah flights coming from over 20 countries. And we uh, work with her. She, she is the lead person at the Jewish Agency for working with Christian groups that help with the Aliyah. And of course, the Christian Embassy has been doing this for 40 years now, and we'll be excited to talk about that. So we're going from this uh, unusual and remarkable transition from the rocket war to these Aliyah flights. I'm going to do just a quick uh, wrap up of what happened during this 11-day conflict for our, our friend Elon Isaacson. It was more like two weeks because they already had several days of intense battles fighting the fires in the fields. Uh, before the rockets started flying, but there were 4,200 rockets, uh, give or take, fired by Hamas, Islamic Jihad down in Gaza into Israel, indiscriminate at Israeli civilian population. There were th 13 Israeli dead, only one soldier, but uh, two children, some Arab, some foreign workers, mainly elderly folks. Some of them stumbled running to their bomb shelters. I think to the 13, you can add at least two more people, elderly people who died of heart attacks from the fear of uh, what was going on. 20% of these rockets landed in Gaza. 90% uh, of those that Iron Dome tried to take out uh, headed for civilian uh, populations were taken down. I think there were about 160 that actually landed in Israeli cities. And uh, Alon Isaacson is going to tell us how many of these uh, 4,200 actually landed in on his turf, what he's responsible for, uh, uh, for down there. And when you hear this, you're going to say, this guy's a hero. Um, the IDF uh, fired at uh, 1,600 targets or so in Gaza. They took out 60 miles, over 100 uh, kilometers of uh, terror tunnels, the Hamas's metro of underground uh, links for uh, weapons storage, getting their, uh, their militiamen around. 
uh, and uh, there were around 240, 250 plus or minus uh, people in Gaza who were killed. The majority of them were militiamen. The IDF has released uh, at least 100, the names of at least 150 young fighting age men who were members of Hamas or Islamic Jihad or other terror militias. And we're now in this unconditional ceasefire. It's unwritten. The two sides were so far apart that it would have just taken weeks and weeks and weeks to come up with a ceasefire agreement. So they just said at two o'clock uh, last uh, Friday morning, let's stop firing. Both sides adhered to it. But uh, it's, uh, you know, if someone breaches the agreement, is it really a breach because there's no conditions to it? That's the problem. Hamas has now been joined by Hezbollah in saying our red line is Jerusalem, no more desecration of uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque up on the Temple Mount, uh, no more evictions, no evictions of Arabs living in these uh, four disputed uh, properties in Sheikh Jarrah that were part of uh, what they used as a pretext to start this rocket war. Israel, their main interest is getting back uh, the two civilians who uh, uh, stumbled into Gaza a few years ago, about seven years ago, six years ago, plus the bodies of two soldiers who, which were abducted, uh, their bodies were abducted in the last rocket war in 2014. And they're basically saying they're not going to allow money in to rebuild Gaza until these bodies are back. I've, I've never heard Israel condition uh, that uh, a prisoner exchange in, in essence on that. And it's much better than trading them for a thousand Hamas uh, terrorists or whatever. But that's a little wrap up of where we are on uh, what the IDF called uh, guardians of the walls. The Hamas called it the sword of Jerusalem. I think we're just calling it the 11 day war. If in 19, June, 1967, it was a six day war. Well, this is the 11 day war. And um, uh, as we go to our first guest, Alon Isaacson, down uh, uh, the security chief down along the Gaza border, uh, we first want to show a video of him in action. Uh, this is a courageous man who's out there on the front lines of this battle. Uh, and this was him uh, just a, a few days ago, first one out, out of the shelters to see what's happened after a rocket barrage. Hi to all our friends. We've just had a bombardment of seven missiles in a kibbutz. I won't say the name of the kibbutz, so we won't be targeted again. We've just, we are just leaving the shelter now after 10 minutes. Let's see what happens outside. As you can see, the shout is next to a, a, a playground. Um, and we can see, I can see at least uh, four hits of this uh, bombardment of four motors. Uh, there must probably be uh, another three or four around the keyboard. But here we can see very close to us, about uh, 20, 30 meters. Uh, you can see four uh, holes in the ground in the, in the lawn here. Look at, look at the, the damage, the holes, uh, the shrapnel is all over the place. We'll, we most probably will find more shrapnel later on, but thank God we have the shelters. So to everyone that is listening, thank you for the money that you're giving us to buy these shelters. Not that the government is not giving, the government is also giving, but we only have between 5 and 15 seconds to get into shelters here. So that's why we have shelters all over the place here. 
Thank you for the money that you give to the rescue and search team of the municipality. Thank you for the money for the fire uh, volunteers that I have. Everything is done here. Uh, we are very strong uh, because of you guys overseas. Uh, the help is uh, so important and we prove ourselves day after day uh, that we are able uh, to deal with these very extreme situations. This is day number 14. Over 900 missiles have hit the municipality of Eshkol out of 3,500 in Eshkol, nine, uh, in, in, the, in into Israel. 900 just in my municipality. That's why we have to be strong. Uh, the IDF is winning. The IDF is hitting hard. The IDF, we give them the support. Uh, every civilian here is giving the IDF the support to continue and to hit the Hamas and the Jihad. Thank you very much, Keith Isaacson, Eshkol Municipality, Head of Security. Okay, we now want to uh, recognize Alon Keith Isaacson, the Security Chief for the Eshkol Regional Council. I think I'm gonna give you an applause uh, as you come on, Keith. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's uh, my honor to uh, address you guys. Uh, we've been working for quite a few years. I usually work uh, directly with uh, Nicole, uh, yes. and she knows me for quite a few years. And uh, really, uh, more than to say thank you, it's, I don't know what to say, but uh, it's not only in times of Hi, crisis. Hi, friends. It's, 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 it's all the time. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah. I do hope you're getting some rest uh, because you had two very intensive weeks there. It started for you even before the rockets started flying with a whole barrage of incendiary balloons, right? Yes. My uh, wife said uh, on Monday that after the ceasefire, that's it. For the first time, we went for four days. I'm now uh, in a hotel in uh, Rhodes for four days. She said we're going out of the country. Not in. Not, I, she didn't even want to go to a hotel in in Israel. She says I want to take you away. So we are here. No bombs here and no shelters here. I, I, I think I'm going to miss it, but uh, it's uh, it's okay. Uh, I hope to rest uh, good for these four days because I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, like you said, you were right. It's a, it's a ceasefire that both sides decided to stop. No agreement, uh, meaning uh, everything is open. Uh, and uh, that's also the reason we have to be on alert all the time, strong all the time, and have all the equipment uh, ready for us. Uh, within seconds, uh, the mode is from uh, a regular... Uh, usual lifestyle to uh, to firing uh, missiles. We are used to it because it's been already 20 years of this of living like this. Unfortunately, we are we are used to it. Um, used to it. Uh, it doesn't mean that we we want to continue like this, but this is this is reality. Um, 
And uh, when I said on the video, 3,500, so it's already 4,300 more or less. And in our municipality, we had 1,000, over 1,300 falls, uh, which is about 30% of all the, of all the missiles that were shot in uh, Israel that fell into our municipality. Uh, interesting, uh, some, something more interesting or more bothering to us, a lot of mortars, 120 millimeter mortars, which is uh, a very, very deadly uh, ammunition uh, bomb. It actually, uh, in 2014, these mortars killed a third of our soldiers uh, in the 52 days of, uh, of uh, uh, what we say, the, the protective edge war. Mm -hmm. These mortars, uh, close to 80 mortars, uh, we are still counting. Uh, we are about 72, but I'm sure there will be a bit more. Almost 80 fell directly into our kibbutzim and mushabim. And uh, I don't know how many people have actually uh, been a couple of meters from a 122 millimeter mortar when it falls. It's not nice. Even I, I don't like it. Uh, of course, because of my job, uh, many mortars fell very close to me on different kibbutzim uh, and mushavim that I was uh, visiting all the time. I was in the field the last those 14 days. I'm always in the field uh, with my with my men, uh, with my security officers. So uh, it's not a it's not a nice scene. Uh, we tried to take uh, most of the families out of these uh, frontline kibbutzim. We have eleven kibbutzim that are frontline, meaning frontline is up to four kilometers away from the border. We uh, we also got help from the government, and we also uh, the municipality helped, and we took out a between 70 and 80 percent of the population to go and uh, to different hotels all over the country because uh, to be uh, to hear the sirens hourly is one thing that is also not so uh, nice and I'm sure in Jerusalem you you had it a few times but think of in the Eshko region there were 729 sirens in those 11 days so it's a uh, that that one in one way is very hard, but but when the the mortars falling in the kibbutzim, that is something else that is uh, actually uh, terrifying. Uh, luckily, uh, in the kibbutzim, no one was killed. We had a few slightly injured. Unfortunately, one of our missiles, uh, one of their missiles, hit uh, a, a compound of workers. Uh, on a mushav, eight kilometers away from the border, uh, killing uh, two workers, two Thai workers, and injuring another eight uh, Thai workers, one seriously injured. He's uh, just finished another operation, and he's, uh, he'll, he'll need another operation in about six weeks' time. Uh, that was a direct hit, uh, unfortunately. Uh, that was a uh, very sad. I, I was the whole day yesterday with the um, ambassador of Thailand. She came to visit the municipality and I took her around also to talk to uh, the Thai workers and also actually 
to see where the incident happened. Uh, we have very good uh, relations with the Thai uh, ambassador. And then now, actually, what we're doing, uh, unfortunately, all the time because uh, I'm used to it. These expeditions, we've had close to 30 escalations. This is the longest escalation, 11 days. Usually it's 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. But uh, this was uh, the longest uh, four days of uh, firebombs and another 11 days of uh, uh, just think that what they shot in which was 4,500 missiles, the Palestinians, the, the Hamas, not Pal I don't want to say Palestinians, the Hamas and the Jihad um, shot the, almost the same amount, around 4,300 within 11 days. So it was um, very, very, very hard um, uh, to function in, uh, in our area. The Shkol the Shkor region is 40 kilometers of the Gaza border. The Gaza border is 65 kilometers, so we're 40 kilometers. So anyway, we two-thirds of what's happening in the, what we call the envelope. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now what we are doing, we are seeing if the sirens are good enough, if we need more sirens. We are checking where we need more shelters. We are, we are have a checklist. And we will see where where we were good, where we were less good, where we have to improve. And uh, this is what we've been doing uh, since already Saturday in the last four or five days. Very intense. Uh, everyone, uh, municipality, army, also together, uh, meetings, where, where to improve and quickly. Because we don't really know, uh, because it's not an agreement, we don't know when it's going to uh, fire again. So that's what we are doing in the last couple of uh, days. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Alon, for that, uh, that, uh, that information. And um, I think people need to really understand that he, uh, he's responsible for the, these farming communities that are right up near the Gaza border. And within five to seven miles of the border, these communities they do not have the benefit of the protection of Iron Dome because it only works for longer range rockets. These mortars and rockets that hit them, 13, 1400 of them, they only go up so high and they come down quickly. You have much shorter time to run for cover, five, 10 seconds max when the siren uh, goes off and there's no iron dome to shoot anything down. You have to have shelters. So we've been concentrating and delivered probably over a hundred portable bomb shelters to this area alone and worked with uh, Elon for many years now to not only with bomb shelters, I think uh, that might've been one of ours in the video we showed at the start, but also protective gear that you wear, the firefighting equipment, uh, mobile uh, water tanks and firefighting and uh, many other things, helping with trauma centers to help the kids. It's all about uh, giving you enough peace of mind so that the families that live there permanently have made a determination to, to not to run, that, that, that y'all can stay there and live as normal lives as you can. We just say koha kavod to you. Yeah. 
I, uh, whatever you say uh, is, is, is uh, dot on 100% and uh, a lot of it is uh, the shelters is, means also resilience. Uh, when when uh, when when we when when a family a kid when you go to a, a playground and and he sees the shelter, it it doesn't bother him. He knows okay it could happen. There's a shelter. He runs to the shelter and everything's okay. So the shelters are really a resilience. And of course, like you said, with the fire equipment, we also uh, with a lot of fire equipment that you gave us, and also uh, 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 fire wagons. Uh, that I, I've been using all the time and uh, and communication equipment uh, really uh, it's been I, I've been I think I've been working with you for six seven years and uh, and it's all the time so uh, and this really uh, gives a lot of it is so important. Uh, when someone doesn't live here, how all these things are so uh, important. That's why I made these videos on my videos to try and explain. Try and explain also that you've been giving us all these years and truly uh, saving lives. There's nothing, you can't put it better in words than just saving lives. And uh, just to another thing, uh, very important, the Hamas and the Jihad target the Hamas and the Hamas, yes, they were killed uh, on the other side, women killed, killed on the other side. We know that, but we were not aiming, not for children and not for women. We're aiming mm -hmm. to Hamas and Jihad uh, strongholds. Unfortunately, some of those places are in places where uh, places or uh, schools and something like that. And a lot of times we don't even shoot, even though uh, it's affecting our kibbutzim uh, and shavim, but that's the difference. We do not target civilian population, and I hope we will never ever target civilian population uh, uh, to try and uh, uh, prove something. No, we are not targeting them. We don't want to target them. They're not our enemy. Our enemy is the Hamas, the Jihad, ISIS, and there's another 20 to 30 different factions. Mm. Well, uh, Keith, we're going to let you go back to enjoying a little vacation time. I know it's well-deserved. Uh, we were watching these videos every day that you were putting out, and you could tell it was really some, uh, some strain on, on you and everyone. But uh, we're glad you're safe. And, uh, and we wanted to just say we've, we've raised funds just over the last couple of weeks uh, for, uh, we think, at least another 20 shelters or so. You know, uh, the orders are in and it takes time for them to be made, but we're going to be delivering some hopefully within the next week. We may see you there and everyone who's listening in can, uh, can look and, and see that. Uh, 
when we deliver it. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you All very much. So I'm bye. Okay. God bless you. All right. God bless you. Okay. We now want to bring in, uh, make this transition uh, to, from the rocket war to the Aliyah flights by bringing in our good friend, Danielle Moore from the Jewish Agency. Danielle is the director of Christian Friends of the Jewish Agency for Israel and also vice president for Israel and global philanthropy. I think she had the, the uh, this last title first, but there's been so many Christians now who become donors of the for you know, all the things that you do, especially the Aliyah, that uh, you've had this added title to direct, uh, to be the main point person for all the Christian Friends branch of the Jewish Agency. And it's all it's been great working with you for many years, Danielle, and, and uh, we've had a busy, busy time lately. Can you tell us about it? We have 500 Olim arriving the week after a rocket war. It's amazing. Yeah, so thank you so much, uh, David. It's really a pleasure being here. And I think it's so important that you chose to do this webinar at this specific time as a way of educating and showing support to people like Keith that are really on the front lines of this so harsh reality. And at the same time, also to be here to say, you know, that we're not just defined by our wars and we're not just defined by our struggles, but we are defined by our future and our hope for a good future. And what better way to frame that than through Aliyah? And to be able to discuss that today with you and share it with uh, Christian friends from around the world that are supporting um, ICJ, and we really thank you for your critical support of the Jewish Agency. You've been there with us, whether it's times of emergency or times of calm. And this week, that really, in a way, it's a time of calm, you might say, that comes after a great emergency. You're here with us as we're celebrating the hope and the future for the Jewish people through Aliyah, as really in just one week that comes so immediately after thousands of rockets, we're getting now over 500 Alim in a span of just, you know, less than seven days. And what makes this even more special than just, you know, the sheer number of it is that they're coming from far and wide, from really all across the world, all five continents. Uh, we have an Ola that's coming all the way from China. We have Australia. We have every, you know, North America, of course, all these places in, uh, in Europe, you know, Finland, Switzerland, Sweden, the Netherlands really just all over the world. And over the time of COVID, it has been such a challenge to bring Olim to Israel. And I'm happy to share more on that um, with you if you'd like. I know that also this week, what makes it additionally special is that we're celebrating and remembering and honoring 30 years for Operation Solomon, the greatest Aliyah operation really uh, ever, I guess probably since uh, the Exodus. Because just in 36 hours, over 14,300 Olim were airlifted out of besieged and war-torn Ethiopia and brought home to Israel. And that was 30 years ago this week, uh, according to uh, both um, uh, the secular holiday and also the Jewish holiday. Uh, in the U.S., they mark it according to Memorial Day. And here it was really the week of uh, May 23rd to 26th. So I don't know if you want to share that video at this point or later, David. 
I think uh, I think we're going to uh, share that towards the end. It's very moving. It's brilliant, and we just want people to watch uh, that the thirtieth uh, uh, video in tribute to the thirtieth anniversary. I think it's such a clever way it's presented. Uh, here it comes. Uh, are we are we showing this now? You want to show the video, or you want me to no, show? No, it? no, we're going to show your presentation. I. You know, the, you mentioned it, the corona didn't stop the Aliyah. This rocket war hasn't stopped it. It's really amazing how the, the in-gathering has continued. And uh, it, it walk us through it, what's been happening over the last year or so with, uh, with Aliyah. Okay, so I'm happy to. So really what we can say about Aliyah is that since 1948, it has not stopped for a day, whether it was the Six-Day War, whether it was uh, the Yom Kippur 1973 war. And during this time of COVID, I believe there was, it was extremely sad. There was one week, one almost entire week where Aliyah stopped. It never happened before and God willing, it won't happen again until we have really all the Jews living in Israel. And here, what we are so fortunate to be able to share with you is that, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, just a second. Just be patient one minute. Some interruption. Here we go. Okay, apologies. You know, COVID times, you know, people drop things off and bang loudly on your door. So apologies uh, for that. So we had one really week where we were all praying for Aliyah to be resumed. But despite that, during COVID, there wasn't a stop in Aliyah at all. And whether it meant that you were able to fulfill a dream or whether you were ending, putting an end to a nightmare, the Jewish agency was there. And I will also say that ICJ was there because you were supporting us very strongly during this entire pandemic. Um, another aspect is that you can see that it was really so very uh, global, whether it was, of course, Ethiopia, Mexico, we chartered flights, evacuation flights, uh, special uh, agreements with different governments around the world. Many of them were also had to be kept secret and with the government of Israel, all resulting in bringing home to Israel over 20,000 olim in 2020. You can see here the graph of what did Aliyah look like until the pandemic hit. And you can see that 2019 really represented an over 10 year high in Aliyah to Israel, basically more than doubling when you compare 2019 to 2009. We were expecting 2020 to be just as strong, if not actually more, but then COVID hit and you know, kind of change things around the world. So when we look at the map of Aliyah in 2020, I think it is astonishing that with all the closed borders, the cancellations of thousands of flights, the fact that government offices everywhere were closed, it was simply impossible in so many cases to get documents, to make plans. And despite that, over 21,000 Olim found their home in Israel. You can see here the map of Aliyah, and you can see also very happily that within 2020, we had over 900 Olim from Ethiopia that continued with us into 2021 in Operation Sur Israel that you are a major partner in. You know, and when you think about this, when I say, you know, closed borders and closed offices and, uh, you know, cancellation of flights, you might think, okay, so a person can delay their Aliyah. You know, what does it mean to delay your Aliyah by a few months or by a year? You know, you've been waiting for 2,000 years, so you can wait, you know, a few more months. <laughs> In some cases, it's really not 
not, uh, not a possibility because it becomes a life-saving mission. And this is the story of this little boy here that you see standing at the airport with his parents. His name is Maxim Max from St. Petersburg, Russia. And this is a child that had he stayed in Russia, he would not have made it. The type of cancer that he had, the type of uh, treatments that were available would not have saved his life. And his parents really made the decision that they have to save their child's life, not surprising. And the father, in a kind of in a moment of awakening, and said, you know, maybe now is the time for us to make Aliyah. You know, we've been speaking about this for years. Maybe in Israel we can find the solution for Max's problem. He emailed our emissary, our shlicha in St. Petersburg. It was the weekend. He didn't expect really anything to happen. He was sure that everything is closed. You know, the world over is closed. Also, the Jewish agency is closed. But no, we were open. And within a week, they arrived already in Israel with full plans for a, a program for an operation to be done at Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. You can see Max and his parents already as he was preparing for the operation. You can see he doesn't look that, uh, that good. His parents have hope in their eyes, but he just looks, poor boy, exhausted. And here you can see Max and his parents just last week. He has recovered from his operation. He's still going in almost daily to the hospital to receive treatments but the doctors say he will be fine. He's studying Hebrew still uh, virtually online uh, together with his parents, and they are beyond thankful and blessed to be with us here in Israel. Another example is when we talk about Aliyah from Ethiopia. You know, the government makes a decision in October, it's the height of the pandemic, and the decision says that within the span of the shortest amount of months possible, we will be entrusted by the government to bring home to Israel over 2,000 olim from Ethiopia. The decision is made in October. How are we going to pull this off the ground is not so clear. Ethiopia is in a civil war. It's a red COVID country. We have to get our staff there. We have to get the government officials there. And yet, with by December already, the first flight with 316 olim, accompanied by the Minister of Aliyah, Pnina Tamano Shete, the first ever Ethiopian minister in Israel, come to Israel. And you can see here how this transpired over the next months, with the operation almost being completely complete. We had the last flight currently, actually this week, with 55 Olim that could not come earlier because unfortunately they were sick with COVID, so their Aliyah was postponed. And here is just one, one of the small stories of this Aliyah. Um, Yali Ganesh, the mother you see here in the center with her husband, with her four children, waiting to make Aliyah in Ethiopia for over 10 years, not being able to be with her family, with her mother, Nana. And here you can see really living like a refugee in her own country in squalor conditions, an apartment that's, you know, apartment. It's a mud hut that's no bigger than 70 uh, feet, probably like the size of a Western bathroom, only she doesn't have any running water or electricity, and really waiting and living on her suitcases because she firmly believes that when it is time, God will bring her to Israel. And while she was waiting, her mother was weeping and waiting for her daughter to join her in Israel. And after 10 years of waiting, Finally, Yali Ganesh and her family came on the plane, two more weeks of quarantine, and they found themselves together at the Ibim Aliyah Center of the Jewish Agency, really together at last. And here, when you look at this picture of them, it looks like such family bliss. 
you know, this is the Ibim Aliyah Center. And if that name rings a bell to you, David, I don't know if it rings a bell to many others, but Ibim is right outside of Stilot, which means that it's just about seven kilometers from Gaza. It's a beautiful kibbutz-like environment. The apartments are large, the grass is green, but when rockets start falling, Ibim is in the center of hostilities. And when we look at what Ibim looked like these past two weeks, here you see the children in one of the mobile uh, bomb shelters that you're so familiar with, We're just waiting for the siren to pass. These past two weeks for our Olim in the South, we have over 3,000 Olim living in the South. And I don't know if you can even imagine, I can't imagine what it's like to be a Nuole, somebody who really is just starting their life in Israel, doesn't understand the language, doesn't understand the mentality, yes, certainly does not understand the political system. To them, you know, Israel is their safe haven. And all of a sudden, you know, sirens day in, day out. And while the staff at the Aliyah Center did everything they could to help and support them, whether it was bringing them materials and information in their own native language, whether it was providing all kinds of therapeutical um, activities within the bomb shelters, it became very clear that some of them, most of them just need to be taken out, taken out of the South, taken to a place where they could breathe. And we did this also with your help. You can see here one of the rockets that landed in Ibim. I'll get to this picture a little later. We did this also thanks to your help, bringing the Olim into safety in the South. We have taken out nearly 1,000 Olim on these different Shabbat Shalom um, experiences, or Shabbat of Peace experiences. And unfortunately, in one of the locations, it came already after there was a direct hit. Here you can see an Ole uh, that's living in our Aliyah Center in Ashkelon. You know, Ashkelon compared to Eshkol, what Keith just described, they're very fortunate because they do get Iron Dome and they have a whole, you know, luxurious uh, 30 seconds of warning before a rocket falls. But here, the Olim in the center, they have bomb shelters at the bottom, at the basement of the building. The buildings can have uh, between eight to 10 floors. You can imagine it takes a while to go down from the top floor. You're not going to make it to the bomb shelter in time. The Olim were spending most of their time in the bomb shelters, but some of them were still trying, you know, to live their lives, to work, to, to be outside. And here this Ole was coming back uh, from a meeting that he had outside of the Aliyah Center. The siren goes off. The Olim are quickly, quickly taken into the bomb shelter. The doors are closed. And this Ole and his friend find themselves outside the gates of the Aliyah Center. They realize there's no way they can make it in time. They lay down on the floor, cover their heads in their, with their hands. And the rocket, sure enough, falls. Two rockets fall in the parking lot of the Aliyah Center. The man is wounded with a shrapnel wound to his leg. Uh, windows, doors uh, in, the, in, the, in the center are all shattered and blown up to pieces. Some of the apartments have huge amounts of shrapnel in them. So thank God that the Olim were not in the apartments and were actually in the bomb shelters. He's recovering at this time. And what I can share with you is, you know, that when you have this situation, you try to do your best. Here you can see one, one view of, uh, of an activity that we did also with your support. This is a puppet therapy activity. And you know, and you get the most unbelievable questions from the children and also sometimes from the adults. You know, you get questions like, who is this Hamas person? Why isn't anyone killing him? You know, they don't understand the, even the concept. 
or we had an Ole from Ethiopia who considers himself, you know, very uh, strong. And in Ethiopia, he once, you know, came face to face with uh, with a jackal, and he uh, succeeded in killing the jackal that was threatening his uh, herd of sheep. And he says, you know, let me face Hamas. I'll kill him just like I killed the jackal. You know, they, it's so hard even to to explain. But even without the understanding, the trauma is there. And that's why it's so important also to give this sense of security. We brought soldiers in and cooperation, of course, with the IDF that were there also to provide guidance to the Olim on, um, on behavior during these times of emergency. And also just to be there as a source of education. You know, the IDF is great also in that. And I don't know, you know, if I was the mother of this uh, little baby sitting there in Ibim and I see two uh, soldiers uh, watching him, uh, I would probably feel very, um, very good and very secure. So this really brings us to this week. And this week, which uh, we're so thrilled that, you know, with all the rockets and with all the facts that, you know, during these past two weeks, many airlines changed their courses canceled flights to Israel. I will say that not many Olim canceled their flights to Israel. The vast majority of the Olim did not cancel, but airlines in many cases canceled. There were also cases where airlines, because of the security threat over Ben Gurion Airport, they had to land all the way down in Ramon. So, you know, you might think that it's a little thing, but for an Ole that thought that he was going to land in uh, Ben Gurion and within, you know, an hour, he would be already uh, uh, in, you know, Jerusalem or in Tel Aviv, they land all of a sudden in the middle of the desert and are taken four hours by bus uh, to the airport to go through their processing, to get their Aliyah certificate, and from there to start basically their quarantine period. And this brings us really this beautiful, happy moment of over 500 Olim from over 20 countries in just one week. And you can see here a young Ola from Shaldegol Airport, uh, just uh, coming into Israel um, one and a half days ago, you might say, from uh, Paris, France. And I think that she's agreeing that this is pretty super. And from this, I just like to take you to what does the future hold? You know, what does it look like when we think about Aliyah going forward? So COVID is still with us in many parts of the world. We see that, you know, forget about this, these past two weeks, what happened during these past two weeks. Also before that, throughout COVID, and in the years before that, there's a trend of growing anti-Semitism. COVID also caused um, an increase in difficult financial situations in many parts around the world. And I will say that there is one positive thing that COVID did in relation to Aliyah, and that it helped remove psychological barriers. Because if before, a person would think, you know, how can I possibly relocate? What will happen to my job? What will happen about my family and my friends? People through these times of lockdowns and working from home, they realize that, hey, there are more opportunities to study from afar, to work from afar. And whether it's because of a global pandemic that causes me to not see my loved ones for months, maybe not seeing my loved one for months because I made a life choice of moving to Israel, Maybe that's actually something that I can live with, with all the benefits that come with it of, you know, fulfilling this dream of coming to Israel. So we see both these harsh factors that are pushing people to make Aliyah, and we also see this wonderful removal of psychological barriers factor that is pulling people to make Aliyah, telling them that in Israel, they can have a good home. So if we want to look at what did the number of Olim look like in 2019, 2020, I shared with you a little bit of this before. 
and now just in 2021, January and March of last year were pre-COVID. They had no COVID impact uh, in them as far as Aliyah. So you can see that January, March of 2021 is almost uh, up to par. And the month of March was much stronger than January and February. So we have an upward uh, trend. And what's even more telling than the actual numbers right now is the numbers of opening Aliyah files. For a person who wants to make Aliyah, to open an Aliyah file, it's not you know just like picking up the phone and saying, I wanna open a file. It's a whole process. So to be at a stage where you um, provided the documents, where you went through the interview, that your Aliyah file is now what's considered open, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real effort and it shows an indication of real interest. So we typically know that the ratio between opening a file and eventually making Aliyah is approximately two thirds. So if that were to happen, imagine what, what we could be considering. We could be considering that from North America, we would have 10,000 Olim. Now, I don't know if that will actually uh, happen, but that is what our past experience, that's what the indications of the past have taught us. And you can see also how the opening of Aliyah files is continuing now in the early stages of 2021. So you can see that it's continuing to be uh, pretty impressive. And with that, I would like to bring us back to, you know, the bottom line, you know, all this talk about Aliyah and terror and, uh, and, you know, in big terms and scary words like rocket, it all boils down to the beautiful face, the trusting eyes of children, of people who depend on us and people who need us, people who have faith, but don't necessarily have means. And we are there for them to help them fulfill their dreams or end their nightmares. So I'd like to say a big thank you to ICJ, to everyone that's with us um, on this uh, webinar. Thank you to you, David, and to your wonderful uh, colleagues at ICJ. And you know, God willing, just like Operation uh, Guardian of the Walls, uh, you have been our watchman on the walls. You have been there reminding the Lord uh, not to forget and not to be silent. So thank you, and I'm happy to take questions if you have any. Thank you, Danielle. I'd have to say in all the years that uh, we've worked with the Jewish Agency, uh, the, this most recent time working with you and uh, Isaac Herzog and others there, it's been the warmest uh, relationship uh, of all these years. Always important bringing the Jewish people home, but it's nice to work with uh, good, friendly people who understand the, the challenges we all face and work together to, to meet that. Uh, just a couple uh, remarks. Uh, uh, some of these uh, Ethiopian Olim, these are ones that we helped, the Christian Embassy helped bring in during this Operation Rock of Israel. I think it was 2,000 in all. We, we sponsored flights for around 500 of them. And they've got to spend a bit longer time in the absorption centers for language, learn the Hebrew language do finish the conversion. So you all have a longer period to take care of them. There's also quarantine because of COVID. But some of these folks really, uh, they, they've been through a tough time with this war. Yes, very, very much so. And, you know, when you're, for everyone in Israel, this has been a very tough reality. But in some ways, when you're 
when you're raised into it, when like, you know, Keith said, you know how to recognize a bomb shelter and you know that it spells for you uh, safety, it's very different than when you're a newcomer and there's so much that you're struggling with and so much that, you know, so many questions and so much uncertainty and a general feeling of not being, not being in your comfort zone, you know, far from that. So it makes it so much more difficult. And that's why, especially when uh, Olim, when they know that they're being cared for and they know that they get, you know, they, thanks also to ICJ, we've been able to provide, you know, all kinds of um, board games and toys and activities. And they know that it's coming from people that care about them. And they know that it's coming also from Christians that support them around the world. You know, when we talk about Aliyah, there's also really the aspect of what, how do you help those that actually were hurt? That it's not only that they've been living with terror, but that they were directly hurt by terror. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Jewish agency has a fund that assists victims of terror. And I have had the really the very sad honor of going and meeting some of these victims of terror. You know, people that just live and, you know, all kinds of parts of Israel that they never thought themselves as being in danger by Gaza. They live in Ramat Gan, they live in Givatayim, you know, the center, the center parts of Israel. And just within seconds, you know, they're one minute, they're putting their children, their babies to sleep, clearing the dinner plates. A second later, there's a siren. And they say to themselves, okay, you know, we're probably safe, but we'll do what we're told. And, you know, the kids are already sleeping in the safe room. So the parents go there, close the door. And then there's this huge explosion. Everything shakes around them, fills up with smoke. You know, in just one second, their world just comes tumbling down. They escape the building, shattered glass. You know, it's really only thanks to the way that Israel cares for its citizens and the way that Israel has friends that care for its citizens that not so many more lives were were lost. And the fact that after this horrendous attack happened, people like Keith, or people like um, those that work in our Fund for Victims of Terror come, you know, on site immediately, give a hug, give assistance. It changes the perspective of a victim from being a person that hate is directed at to a person that love and caring is directed Mm -hmm. at. It sends them a message that the world can be good Mm -hmm. and can have hope for them and can have a future for them. Yeah. Now, uh, the numbers last year, despite Corona, it was 21,000, which was a dip from the year before in the trend, but it was even higher than, say, 2011, 12, 13, 14. It was actually higher than in those years. And now, because Israel has done so well with Corona, it's vaccinated, people trust the healthcare system better here, they think it's safer. And because of rising anti-Semitism, you see countries like France, the, the Aliyah numbers didn't go down over the last year or so. They've actually uh, going up. And now you expect, uh, I understand, up to 250,000 Jewish immigrants over the next three to five years. That's, that would be a real surge. And I think it'd take us past uh, that, that uh, threshold, that landmark of more than 50% of the Jews in the world living back in the land. That'd be remarkable. Yes, and I will say that that for this um, vi- this vision, this hope, this forecast of having uh, 250,000 olim in the next three years, it requires a lot. It requires a lot, both by you know organizations like the Jewish Agency that are leading Aliyah, 
It requires also a lot by the government of Israel. And, and as you know, uh, that's a little bit uh, shaky at the moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, we hope to have um, our person in, uh, you know, in high places <laughs> and be able to, to, really, to really push forward. Uh, on this with uh, with the government. Minister Tamanoshata was an amazing partner. Yes. Um, maybe we'll have her again as minister. We don't know. Yes. But, you know, the challenges, the housing, um, it's, it's the employment. And these are also areas where ICJ works with us, especially in employment. And it's so important if we want to, to if we want to have a breakthrough. Yes. Um, yeah, we we had a good relationship, working relationship with Natan Sharansky, but it's been just terrific under Isaac Herzog, who is officially right now uh, taking a, a leave for, as chairman of the Jewish Agency to uh, uh, campaign for the president of Israel, like his father was president. And I uh, would just wish him all the best, but it's been a good relationship there. But you're right, the government needs to stabilize here to prepare for all these Olim, but it's a challenge that the Christians out there, we want to just uh, put it out there, help us get Israel past that threshold of more than 50% of the Jews living here. If that's the one bright side that comes out of Corona and all this anti-Semitism and stuff, even, even, even Corona blamed on the Jews, what, what is this? And Israel is the place where the, their future is. And, and uh, you know, the Christian embassy has helped more than 160,000 Jewish people make Aliyah over the last 40 years. Last year, we did over 3,000 out of the 20,000 or so, including 1,600 flights that we sponsored. We're on a nice pace. This year, we're over 1,100 by the time the B'nai Menashe land next week. Mm -hmm. We haven't even mentioned that there's a flight of the, this unusual Israelite tribe from Northeast India, the B'nai Menashe, uh, coming in a flight of around 250, and we're doing almost 199 of them uh, with Shavay Israel, our friend Michael Freund, and the Jewish Agency helping with that because of the corona spike in India. But uh, I think we want to go back to this Operation Solomon, because you said uh, it is the largest uh, uh, immigrant airlift that Israel's ever done. Uh, it's hard to think of another country that has done something similar, over 14,000 Jewish uh, Ethiopians brought here. Uh, and it was dramatic. It was to get them out of a civil war, other hardships. Uh, I think uh, most people, if they know something about it, May of uh, 1990, all the, uh, the whole fleet of El Al planes, they took out the seats to allow more people to sit. The people sat on the ground and it was uh, within 36 hours, uh, all these flights, I think it was 30 some flights that uh, El Al brought these people and, and uh, the Jewish agency was spearheading that. It was quite remarkable. You can watch uh, the Netflix movie. It's on Netflix, uh, the Red Sea Diving Resort that gives you a sort of more uh, a little James Bond look at, uh, you know, Hollywood look at it. But uh, we now have a video that shows uh, a little, uh, the children of those who came on that amazing Aliyah are telling the story of it. If we can show that video now.
גרו באתיופיה. הם מאוד מאוד רצו לעלות לישראל. הם תמיד התפללו שהם יגיעו לירושלים. ארץ זבת חלב ודבש. סבא שלי, זיכרונה לברכה, עבד בחקלאות. סבתא שלי עבדה בכדרות. המנה העיקרית היחידה שהם אכלו באתיופיה זה היה דאבו ואינג'רה. הבית שלהם לא באמת היה מגן מכל... היה מאוד קר, מאוד 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 קר, שילדים מתו. זה שליט, שהוא היה מאוד רשע, והיה שם באמת סכנת מוות, בגלל שהיו שם מורדים שרצו להשתלט על המקום. המבצע היה מבצע מאוד מסובך, כי היה להם רק סוף שבוע אחד. הם פחדו שפשוט השלטון שיתחלף, כי הם יסגור אותם בתוך הארץ ולא ייתן את העלייה הזאת. התחילו להגיע שמועות שיש עלייה מאדיסה בבא. הם הלכו ברגל איזה מרחק של יום, משם היה אוטובוסים שלקחו אותם לעוד כפר, ואז עוד אחד לאדיס אבבה ששם הם שרו שנה. אימא הלכה לגן של הסוכנות היהודית, ואח שלה הלך לבית ספר של הסוכנות היהודית. דוד שלי עבד במשרד שם של שירותי ציבור. אז אחד מהעובדים שם אמר לו, יש שמועות שעולים יום אחרי לארץ ישראל. פשוט השאירו את כל הדברים בבית, הלכו לשדה תעופה. והיה שם המון אנשים, ואז קרה מקרה מאוד מצער. עשו לאמא את היד, ואז היא נעמדה לבוא, ועמדה במקום. הייתה מאוד מבוהלת, צפוף, צפוף, צפוף. ואז מצאו אותה, היא הלכה, חיכה, סיפר לי שהעולים עלו בלילה, זה היה מאוד מאוד מפריד, כי היה כולה נכסים מאחורה, וזה חם, הם הרגישו את זה כמו דרקון, שהם נכסים יותר דרקון, הם כל כך פחדו. זה חיזקה חזק את סבא, כי פחדה נורא. הוציאו את כל הכיסאות, שמו שם מזרונים, וככה ישבו, כאלה צפופים, צפופים, צפופים. סבתות, סבות, דודות, דודים, וכולם נותנו שיחה. כשהמטוש נחת והם הגיעו לארץ ישראל, מאוד התרגשו. הם נחתו ונשקו את האדמה של הארץ. זה היה מבצע שבאמת עלו בו המון המון אנשים, וזה היה מבצע שאיחד בין הרבה משפחות. אני מאוד גאה בסבא שהוא עזר לאלפי אנשים להגיע לחלום שלהם. העולים עזרו הרבה יותר למדינת ישראל. בזה שהם יהיו חלק כל כך גדול בקהילה, שכרגע לא יכולנו לדמיין את החברה הישראלית בלעדיהם. אמא הייתה צריכה לפגוש את אבא ולהוליד אותי. אני מאוד שמחה שהם עלו לארץ. אני אוהבת את ישראל כל דברים שלי בעולם. אני אוהבת את ישראל. תודה שהולדתי בארץ ישראל ובאתי. I've seen that video already a few times and I start uh, <laughs> crying every time I see it.
Uh, yeah, it's very creative and very touching to have the children tell the story. Because yeah. the children is what this was for. You know, yes. in so many ways, the Olim themselves, they can be almost like the generation of the desert. They, they come yeah. to the Holy Land, but do they truly come to it with all the challenges of being an Oleh? In many cases, it's the future of the children that will be considered as, you know, the success. They are the ones that will fulfill the dreams of their parents. A amen. And there, there are, we're seeing so many Israelis uh, having success stories in, in business or entertainment and uh, you know, getting law degrees, becoming officers in the army. And uh, this is great. And I think, uh, Daniela, one of the good things about the, the Ethiopian Olim who are still coming, there's still, what, six or 7,000 left in some of the transit camps that are slowly being brought here and we're helping with that, but they now have a whole community here of 130, 140,000 Ethiopian Jews strong that uh, helps uh, ease their, their landing <laughs> and their absorption a little better to have family and friends in that particular community uh, so it's a little easier than when they arrived uh, 30 years ago. Very much so, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, one of the boys in the story, so his mother, she, she, she's the one that came as a six-year-old child that was nearly uh, lost there uh, between, you know, the, the multitude of people. And she's been working for the Jewish agency in, in Aliyah centers, helping Nurlim from Ethiopia for 13 years now. And during the pandemic, she volunteered to leave her family, leave that gorgeous, uh, you know, eight-year-old boy of hers, and to travel to Ethiopia to be our emissary, to be a shikha, and to bring, you know, her community back home to Israel. Yeah, she, uh, she's great. And you have uh, an incredible advocate in the Ministry of Immigration Absorption and in this uh, Panina Tamana Shata, who's uh, the first Ethiopian-born uh, cabinet minister and and uh, and Aliyah minister and she's terrific. She's a fighter and uh, we know there's good things ahead uh, in in this whole area of Aliyah. It is the future of Israel uh, to to keep uh, keep the country strong and um, it's a just a real privilege to work with you and everyone else there. I'm glad uh, you know some of our more of our people will be introduced to you, uh, you know, as, as uh, the person who reaches out to the Christian world uh, through this uh, webinar as they view it over the weekend. And uh, just great to have you, Danielle. Thank you, great to be here with you. All right, all the best. Uh, that's gonna wrap it up now uh, on this week's uh, ICEJ webinar. Uh, we just thank you for joining us. And uh, if you want to help support uh, the Aliyah, you can go uh, to our website uh, uh, and uh, you go to on.icej.org uh, slash Aliyah. Uh, and if you want to help with the bomb shelters down along the Gaza border, you go to on.icj.org slash bomb shelters. Either one will take you there where you can uh, help uh, towards these efforts. We're putting in bomb shelters near the border and we're helping uh, bring Jews from all over the world. Nothing's gonna stop this Aliyah. The great in gathering and the building up of Zion continues. And God bless each one uh, of you. Shalom from Jerusalem.